Namotasa Bhagavatu Atuasama Samputasa Namotasa Bhagavatu Atuasama Samputasa Namotasa Bhagavatu Atuasama Samputasa Buddhandamang Sangang Namasami So tonight's the full moon, and as is the custom in uh, monasteries and monastics, uh, take a time to reaffirm the refuges and the precepts. And um, that sets the container for what our lives can be um, about, and sets a a powerful reminder of um, what the practice can support. You know, so when we just look at the refuges of taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha, we take refuge in the in the potency of the awakened mind and the, that quality of knowing. And when we take refuge in the Dhamma, we take refuge in the truth, the truth of the way things are. And, you know, sometimes the truth of the way things are is glorious. You know, last night on the way over here before the evening meditation, uh, there was a... a I've never seen anything quite like it before. There was a, a full moon inside of an empty cloud that was surrounded. The cloud was a heart shape. And, the you know, the moon sometimes can have rainbows around them. Well, the, the rainbow color was on the edges of the heart. And, you know, it was just breathtaking, you know, and just to drink it in, you know. So the truth of the way things are can be glorious, and the truth of the way things are can sting, you know? You know, so this morning I woke up, and one of the first things I saw when I opened the email was, a, a like, somebody with a really sh- clear criticism. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it kind of landed in something, and it was a little bit rattling. So it's taken a little bit of time to... to uh, feel my way into what that is and why it was so unsettling for me. But we have the the power of knowing. We have the truth of the way things are, which is to, to meet what is. And then we have the Sangha or the community that supports our aspiration to awaken. And, you know, there's an enormous blessing in having other people who are interested in doing the same thing. But for many, many, many years living in the monastery, you know, the Sangha for me was a challenge that was almost unmanageable. (laughs) So I totally got the blessing of the Buddha and the Dhamma, but learning about the blessing of the Sangha took the better part of 20 years. It took about 18, maybe 15, to really feel it to feel that there was actually a fabric of well-being that I could relax into and trust that had the strength and the skill that was really genuinely interested in meeting and supporting. And for that time before that, there was a lot of hard work in terms of personal work to see the kinds of things that I was creating around my reactivity and the kind of what sometimes felt like a, a tearing or a ripping and collective or collaborative work about the kind of dynamics that were going on that were challenging. What I come to see is, is that the Sangha is an incomparable jewel. And 
in order to realize this jewel, in order to make good use of this jewel, sometimes like rough diamonds, it needs some polishing. And the polishing is often um, rubbing into tender places in oneself, you know, to opening up, you know, where am I participating or creating all of this? So when we take the refuges, of course, what we're doing is the... um, I mean, in the, we're, we are reaffirming something that widens us out to something that's considerably larger than the immediacy of our own personal experience and sets the stage for the mind resting and relaxing into the qualities of Dhamma that are so um, deeply supportive of awakening, even though sometimes it's not the way we'd like it to be. Sometimes it's not, you know, um, pleasant or beautiful, lovely. And yet, you know, I can always come back to if I'm having a reaction, I've got some work to attend to. It's not anybody else's fault. I've got to attend to what's being activated here. You know, I might need to speak with another person, but if I'm having a reaction, it's my responsibility. And then the precepts, you know, it was really lovely um, just coming back on this from this time with Gwen and we were on this Insight Dialogue retreat and... Um, just hearing, you know, uh, her own personal expression of the gratitude that she had for being able to live with precepts, you know, to have the support to live with them, to understand what they are, to appreciate the value of them, and to realize what an enormous difference it makes from the opposite, you know, from not having them, not understanding the value of them, not being supported to keep them. And, you know, there's certainly plenty of circumstances and situations where people are not able to or cannot keep the precepts, you know. So just having the opportunity to keep the precepts is just um, tremendous support for creating an opportunity where there's a lack of regret or remorse or confusion in the mind. And that also sets the stage for understanding what Dhamma is all about. Um, What I wanted to talk about tonight was the way, um, understanding how the ending of desire, which is kind of like the Buddhist tradition is about liberation. Liberation is looked at in terms of ending desire. So it's not looked at in terms of of, of philosophical tenets or um, uh, exalted states. It's looked at the ending and resolving of desire. And there's an awful lot to be said about that, the way that works, the mechanisms of it, the places where one sees little expressions of it, you know, larger expressions of it, and, you know, complete expressions of it. And and yet, the result of letting go of desire is contentment. And the consequence of contentment is gratitude. So when you start with looking at desire and releasing desire, you end up with gratitude. So that's really the theme that I wanted to speak about tonight, being the full moon before Thanksgiving, which is kind of like the number one big deal happening in the country for people. And, you know, usually it's an opportunity for family to gather, and sometimes that's a really wonderful thing, and sometimes, again, there's often a lot of complexity when family gathers because that's the nature of family. 
you know, so there's the joy of being with people that you know and have known your whole life, and there's also, you know, the stories and the memories and who's feeling a little bit put out and, you know, who feels closer and who feels a little bit left out and, you know, how it all goes. But the theme of Thanksgiving, I mean, even though we have quite a, also a history with the, you know, the Native American people around which this whole um, Thanksgiving took place, it's like it's not also a beautiful story, even though the Native American people have such enormous vast gifts and riches to offer, you know, the, 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 the level of, of um, displacement and, and dislocation and disregard for their own culture and their own, our own commitments, our own agreements, you know, which sort of was the context around which the Thanksgiving thing was celebrated or was the thing around, you know, that has followed on, has also, you know, a very dark side to it, which probably many of us are at least somewhat aware of. And yet as a holiday to gather together and to give thanks itself is, you know, has some possibility in it. So when we look at, well, all right, so what's in our lives that's worth giving thanks for? You know, where where do we have an opportunity to experience and to express gratitude? You know, what is it? What does that look like as a contemplation and as an actual experience? And, you know, I, I like to reflect on things in a way where I'm not, you know, putting ideas into people's heads, but just to consider in my own life, you know, how this works for me and share and see whether that is something that's also resonating for you as well. You know, I, I'm living in a place that's warm. You know, so as the weather is turning colder and I have heat, you know, I just realize, you know, what an incredible blessing it is to be able to not freeze, you know. And then, you know, this morning there was enough food to eat. And this afternoon there was enough food to eat. And, you know, as an alms mendicant, to be able to live on alms food in a culture like Colorado Springs, for me, like, I just find it a little bit mind-blowing. And, you know, when I was, when I was traveling around in, on the East Coast and I was talking about different things that are going on here, and, and I mentioned the Dharma punks, and, and I said that, you know, the Dharma punks were the only group that really took any interest to look out after me. And it was because of them and their kindness and their interest in me that basically I survived the winter last winter because they were onto it, you know, in terms of making sure that I had enough to eat and I had enough warm things, you know. And and so there's a sense of, well, not only am I grateful that there's food, but I'm also grateful that the food is offered, you know, that there are people who have an interest to know that, that there's a need and that, you know, and to look out and to see that the need is being taken care of. And then, you know, the same thing last year, people came with, with, with um, shopping bag fulls of clothing, you know, and they wanted to make sure that I didn't freeze, you know, so that I had extra socks and extra gloves and extra everythings and, you know, and extra hats and extra, 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 you know. And, and, you know, again, I was just really grateful, particularly since I was riding my bike back and forth to my dad, and as the weather got colder, being on a bike going down a hill is quite a, quite a quite a trip if you don't have the right gear so you know I was just grateful that there was enough support for that and then 
as I look around and I see the kind of, you know, I have my family here. And so, ironically, this is the first time since when I was 14 that I've lived with family. You know, my, my mother and my, my brother and my father. And so, you know, and I get to look after my dad. And so having an opportunity to take care of him, you know, I feel a gratitude to be able to participate in his life process now, where, you know, his life force ebbs and flows, and he's fragile a lot. And it just is a very different experience from being on the other side of the country or in England, you know, and seeing him once or twice a year, and, you know, and having that heartache of not really knowing what's happening or not being present to be able to do more. You know, and then seeing my family and seeing my brother, you know, this is the first time since well, I lived for a year. We lived in the same city for a year, but except for the time I was fourteen, it's like we haven't lived in the same area. And just to get to know what a magnificent human being he is, you know, I feel genuinely privileged that he's my brother. And even though sometimes I, I feel sad that he's so busy. When I do have time with him, it just feels like it's such an incredible delight, you know, just lovely. And then I have friends, you know, Dharma friends that I can speak my heart to and speak openly with about, like, the nitty-gritty of what's actually going on, and without censure, and trust that they will receive and hear what I have to say and offer me feedback from their highest interest in my well-being. And I just find that an incredible blessing that there are people in this world that I can say anything to and I don't have to worry at all about it, you know. I can just speak absolutely candidly. And I feel grateful that, you know, that there's enough skills and talents to be able to do what needs to be done, you know, in terms of setting up whatever needs to be set up to make this thing work, and that this thing is working. (laughs) And there's an enormous joy in seeing people kind of come close to teachings and their hearts open and their minds come into alignment and their lives begin to take on a kind of glow or radiance as the, there's, a, there's something of value that they glean from drawing near. You know, that's a lot of joy, a lot of, of gratitude to have that. And then I feel just a, a tremendous gratitude for um, the practitioners that share together, you know, having time to spend with practice, where we can sit in silence together, how nourishing that can be, and the gratitude for the, um, the Gwen King, you know, and that watching her take on the training and her interest to go forth and watching her blossom in the Dhamma and, you know, really work with the challenges that are there for her to work with. And so it's, it's, it's again, seeing uh, the, the enormous gratitude of having a companion whose mind is inclined with this level of commitment and also the gratitude of watching what happens when a person actually does that, you know? It's like, 
it's really strong. It's a really powerful vehicle for waking up. And then I feel gratitude for the rocks. I never cease to have gratitude for these rocks. You know, today I got up this morning and I was a little bit rattled because I got something that for me was a, a criticism and, and it landed. You know, I don't know that it was actually that skillfully delivered and because it wasn't that skillfully delivered and because I was a little bit raw, it landed. And so what often is the case when I'm a little bit unsettled or rattled was I head for the rocks. And for me, these rocks are like an unimaginable blessing, you know. They're like, you know, portals to pure presence, you know. And no matter what is going on, no matter how intense it is, you know, there, there's a place where all of it can just drop. You know, it can all be seen, received, known, allowed, felt, and let go of. And so, you know, when I come back into the power of pure presence, which is from the re, what the rocks are, they're a portal to pure presence, then I see once again, you know, one of the gifts that I feel I have an, an enormous sense of gratitude for is the practice. You know, no matter what is going on, you know, there's always the ability to be present with what is. You know. So I was at a class at Colorado College on Thursday, you know, and the kids were talking about this, that, and the next thing, and, you know, and somebody said, so what's this deal about attachment and detachment, and where are you with it, you know? Like, and I said, well... If you want to know, you know, this last year has been like walking through an inferno. (laughs) And they said, yeah, but you don't look like you're in a forest fire. I said, yeah, well, that's the benefits of practice, Uh you know. You know, it doesn't have to be manifesting out of my eyes and my ears in order for me to actually be experiencing it internally. And so Susan was asking me about highlights for the trip, and I was saying, well, one of the things that I really appreciated was Niagara Falls. But part of the reason why I appreciated Niagara Falls was because when I experience something externally that somehow resonates or validates or is equal to what is internal, I relax. And so that gives you an idea of, like, the kind of, well, the magnitude of some of the stuff, you know. It's It's been really strong. But one of the things that I feel such an enormous gratitude for is, is, is that it's been held in practice. You know, being incinerated is okay. It's actually okay. I mean, there are times when it doesn't feel that okay. But actually the process has been a, a, a kind of a transformation and letting go, and it's actually okay. And so then that kind of brings me to the, like the culmination of the greatest sense of gratitude, which is that space of what happens when things let go. What's there? What's there when everything falls away? What's there when the desires are gone or the self-images are gone? What's there when one is no longer kind of constructing oneself or constructing others or or trying to maneuver or manipulate or orchestrate or control, what's there when one lets go of desiring things to be any way at all? 
So for me, when I contemplate gratitude, and it brings me to the depth of what practice is, and to the depth of what the fruit of practice is, you know, it's hard even to put words to it. So this is the, you know, the week before Thanksgiving. And, you know, I didn't touch base with each to know what your plans are. But, you know, if it feels like it's a suitable contemplation to consider where to experience gratitude, it seems like there's a, a rich opportunity to really look deeply at the ways in which our personal lives and our family lives and our community lives, the web of life and the fam of the of the world, the earth, and you know the, the the ways in which our commitment to practice supports us in being able to do what needs to be done. You know, one of the one of the things um, that's often easily overlooked is 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 one's health. You know, simple stuff that ain't so simple. And, you know, we notice it when it's not here. But we don't really notice it when it is here. So there's, you know, an infinite places where this contemplation or exploration can go, you know, for each of us. And, you know, we have an evening together we can have more time for meditation. We can go outside in the glory of the garden and under the full moon and see what there is to see and perceive and see what comes of it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.